0: This podcast is brought to you by Jax Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch. For 65 years, Jax has been helping people get outdoors having fun. Jax encourages our community to be safe and healthy, to get outdoors responsibly, and to find adventures close to home, even in your own backyard. Jax is now offering curbside pickup to make sure you're prepared for whatever you need. Visit their website at JaxGoods.com to place an order or to find the contact information for the store nearest to you.
1: So this is typically where we start people off. This is the Mm -hmm. library. Um, The library,
0: pretty self-explanatory. But we touch a lot on the governors, which are all of these gentlemen. And lady here, um, first territorial governor was John A. Campbell, and he is down here. Wyoming became a
1: territory in 1869. It didn't become a state until 1890.
0: So everyone on the Thanks to this podcast, I recently found myself, as I often do for the sake of historical storytelling, touring a very big and very old building. It isn't just any old building, obviously. From the first moment you see it, you know it's special. This behemoth, three-story colonial home, Corinthian columns and all. It's the historic Governor's Mansion of Cheyenne, a red-brick beauty and bastion of Wyoming history. The mansion dates back to 1904, and from 1905 until 1976, it housed Wyoming's first families. It's since been turned into a museum, the historic Governor's Mansion. And lucky for me, it gives tours. Awesome. So this is the library, the first stop of your usual tours. What, Where is the um, next stop usually? So
2: typically, we
1: take people into the drawing room over this way.
0: Mansion superintendent Alexis Pratt recently walked me through its many, many, many rooms. She showed off its stately bedrooms, its dining room, drawing room, and library I peeked inside its smaller corners and crannies, like the tiny office that used to be used by the state's governors. I saw its original grand piano, its narrow butler's pantry, and its light and airy breakfast nook, with big windows that overlooked the mansion's original carriage house. It was there, in the breakfast nook, that I saw something amazing. It was this plaque with a quote on it from Nellie Taylor Ross. The quote is dated November 7th, 1924. At that point, Nellie had been a widow for just over a month. Her husband, Wyoming Governor William Bradford Ross, died suddenly that October, suddenly leaving Nellie a widow and the people of Wyoming to elect his replacement. Looking out from the mansion that November day, almost 100 years ago, Nellie said this, A never-to-be-forgotten day in my life's history, the people of Wyoming were electing a governor. The garage at the executive mansion is a regularly designated polling place. From the windows of the large, quiet house, I would occasionally glance out upon the voters as they filed in and out all day. They looked unusually grave and resolute, I thought. And I wondered how many, if any, were casting their votes for me. I'm Erin Udell with the Fort Collins Coloradoan, and you're listening to the latest episode of The Way It Was, from Wyoming's First Lady to America's First Lady Governor, the rise of Nellie Taylor Ross.
3: I can tell you, there was one thing about my grandmother, and that was when she was called upon, she would always step up.
0: In this episode, you're going to hear the names Nellie Taylor Ross and William Bradford Ross a lot. They were, as I've learned, quite the power couple in Wyoming. And that voice you just heard actually belongs to their grandson, Robert Ross. Robert is Nellie and William's last surviving grandchild. He's an attorney, a fourth-generation attorney in the Ross family, out in Richmond, Virginia. And when I tracked him down earlier this year, I was so excited to have found him. And he was equally excited to talk about his grandparents.
3: My grandfather was from Paris, Tennessee, and my grandmother was from St. Joseph, Missouri, Andrew County.
2: And what brought them to Wyoming?
3: Well, in 1902, my uh, grandfather, William, and my grandmother, Nellie, married, and they moved to Wyoming. Uh, he was a young lawyer, and uh, he, was, uh, he, w- he apparently had some bronchial problems, and they thought that the weather uh, out in Wyoming would be good for his health.
0: Since William Ross died while Robert's father was just 12 years old, Robert never got to meet him. William, it seems, would go on to live in stories told by the family. But Nellie, Nellie lived a long and full life. And Robert recalls seeing her at least every week throughout his entire childhood, always for church and family dinner on
3: Sunday. My grandmother was a very intelligent person who adapted to lots of circumstances in her life. Well, she was born in 19, excuse me, in in 1876. Uh, her family uh, were farmers. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, a fire, when she was about seven or eight years old, uh, burned their home down. And so they had to start all over and they moved into uh, a small town and, uh, the whole family had to adapt to different circumstances, and of course, she lost her mother when she was around 13. She had to adapt to that situation. Uh, there, there was a depression that occurred. My recollection is in the 1890s. That was a tough time for people, and uh, she, um, she, she was faced with a lot of certain situations that were. Cause change, including moving to Cheyenne.
0: After meeting at a picnic in Tennessee, William and Nellie got married in 1902, and Nellie Davis Taylor became Nellie Taylor Ross. She joined William in Wyoming, where he was just getting settled as a young attorney in Cheyenne. Together, they would have four sons, one of whom, Duff, died in a tragic accident when he was just shy of a year old. While Nellie stayed home with their boys, William went on to pursue a life in politics.
3: He was elected as a young prosecutor when he arrived in in Cheyenne. And uh, my recollection is he uh, ran for governor. Uh, He also ran for the U.S. Congress, I believe. And unfortunately, on those two bids, he was unsuccessful. Uh, But on his second run for governor, he was elected.
0: William was elected governor of Wyoming in 1922, and he took office in early 1923. He considered himself a progressive Democrat and pushed for things like low-interest loans for farmers and more taxes on Wyoming's wealthiest corporations. He was a supporter of prohibition, and he had a close advisor and confidant in Nellie. While the first lady's role at that time centered mostly around entertaining at the governor's mansion and raising kids, I've heard from multiple people that Nellie was a new kind of first lady. You see, William and Nellie respected each other a great deal, and apparently she was privy to a lot of conversations around policy decisions and the inner workings of the governor's office.
3: And that's, that's the way our family is. We're very close. We share ideas. and we, I may have picked up a lot of that from my grandmother. But I know that she was very involved, and my grandfather appreciated that so he she was very knowledgeable about his uh platform when he ran for governor uh and uh he uh, he would consult with her while he was governor and so when he died approximately thirty days before the election uh here she was a mother uh my grandfather uh and 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 my grandmother. Uh, had death. They had uh, two uh, boys, basically college age. They had uh, my father, who was 12. And my grandmother was faced with a situation of having no means to support them.
0: After just a year and a half in office, Wyoming Governor William Bradford Ross died on October 2, 1924, as a result of complications from an appendectomy. He was just 50 years old. Nellie suddenly found herself a 47-year-old single mother of three. And like Robert said, she was in debt from all of William's political campaigns that the couple had funded. Their oldest sons, twins Ambrose and George, were in college, and Robert's father, William Bradford Ross II, was just a kid. Nellie had a high school education and some brief experience teaching kindergarten, what could she do? The answer came when some members of Wyoming's Democratic Party approached Nellie about running for governor herself, running to finish out the remainder of William's four-year term, and that's what she did. When um, Nellie Taylor Ross's husband died, I think he had a
2: pheincytus attack and died. Um, she, you know, there was nothing to hold
0: her back. She had the authority state and, and national level. That's Renee Laygrade, a professor of history at the University of Wyoming. Most of her research has centered on women's history, particularly women in the West. What you see with Nellie is, again,
2: Wyoming and the West being part of these larger discussions about women's roles. So in the 1920s, you had, by then, you already had a couple of decades of uh, the new new woman phenomenon where... um, it started in about the 1880s, um, where we saw women really pushing to have more equality in, in professions and access to
0: education. You might be wondering what Gray is talking about there. Political equality? The new woman? What is that? You see, Nellie Taylor Ross's journey to the governor's office didn't start with the death of her husband. It really began, some could argue, a century before when attitudes around women's rights and roles started to fundamentally shift in the United States. And as the fight for property and voting rights for women ramped up across the nation, it was actually on the dusty plains and in the fledgling territories of the American West where women first saw big political wins. I'll dig into that more after this quick message from our sponsor. Now is the best time to be exploring the great outdoors. Jack's Outdoor Gear has clothing, footwear, and gear to make the most of summer, doing what you love. Jack's carries all your favorite brands for camping, hiking, paddling, fishing, and more. Visit Jack's Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Broomfield, and Cheyenne, or visit them online at jacksgoods.com.
2: Uh, most people maybe don't p- connect the westward expansion with the Victorian era. And, you know, the two go hand in hand. And so when you have women coming into the West, they're bringing with them, men and women coming into the West, they're bringing with them ideas of, of uh, gender roles, you know, appropriate roles for men and appropriate lo- roles for women.
0: That's leigh great again. And when we spoke at the end of July, I asked her what life would have been like for women in the West back in the mid-1800s, decades before Nellie Taylor Ross ever moved there, when pioneer families were making the trek as part of the idea of westward expansion and manifest destiny.
2: Well, you know, if you read um, diaries and and letters and everything, uh, what you find is during during the Oregon Trail or westward movement out, you know, in, in other parts of the West, Women had to do things that were, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of what women did. They're out on the prairie picking up, um, you know, cow manure to start fires, and and they're working outside, and and they're some oftentimes they're working alongside their husbands in the fields once they get to their to their new homesteads um, to to create you know their their new life. But once um, once they're established, you know, once the hard work and the kind of exceptional work is over you know, they they reassumed their their traditional roles. They went back into the home and they saw their roles as taking care of the children, uh, making a, a home out of a perhaps a rough house, a soddy on the prairies or the plains, and, um, you know, trying to domesticate their, their spaces.
0: At the time, men would have largely had full control over their family's finances and property. You see, the idea of expanding women's rights really dates back to 1776, when the framework for the United States was being laid out. But the Continental Congress instead drew on the traditional English law of coverture when creating this new nation.
2: And that basically means when a husband and a wife, or a man and a woman, got married, the woman was covered by her husband. But that's a nice way of saying, when she married him she disappeared as a legal and political entity because he would cover all of the the political business he would he would vote and his vote would be for both of them uh he would make decisions uh legal decisions economic decisions for them and she would have no legal or political
0: rights Laygrade gave this great explanation of coverture. So, you know how when a couple gets married, you're supposed to say congratulations to the groom and best wishes to the bride? Well, that dates back to when a couple would marry, and because of coverture, the groom would get all of the bride's belongings, and if she worked, wages. And you see, best wishes went to the bride because, well, good luck, honey, I hope he doesn't waste all your money and leave you penniless, because there's nothing you can do about it. This became a particular issue during the financial crisis of 1837, when Laygrade said men just abandoned their families, leaving their wives and children destitute, with no legal recourse because of curvature. This kicked off a movement to get women more property rights, which did happen, slowly and state by state, starting in the mid-1800s. This time frame also converged when, when the temperance movement really got its start in the 1840s, which gave women more of a platform and a voice and as these shifts started to occur younger generations of women were looking more critically at the lives they were expected to lead by the 1880s you know the the daughters of these women were going holy crime
2: you know mom is supposed to be self-sacrificing and and you know the the typical victorian cartoon you, know, you have the woman on the fainting couch with her uh, wrist up to her her forehead you know taking the vapors and, and their daughters are going, I don't want to live like this. I'm seeing the guys doing fun stuff. Um, you know, as the middle class classes had, had developed, you know, more and more women were getting an education. And they're saying, we're educated. We're smart. Um, how come we have to stay at home and, have, you know, and lie on a fainting couch? We want to go do stuff. And so they became... That's when you see women really starting to push boundaries and saying, we want to be able to go hunting and shooting with dad and the boys. I want to go to college and become a doctor or a lawyer. And for a long time, there weren't opportunities for women. I mean, jobs were closed to women. But this was a generation after 1890 that really pushed for women to become active in society and break out of that that very constricted um
0: domestic sphere. Out West, women's rights started changing as early as the mid-1800s, at least partially in reaction to the 1869 passage of the 15th Amendment, which gave African-American men the right to vote.
2: And Wyoming has a pretty fair had a pretty fair mix of folks who were escaping the Reconstruction South, Southerners who were um, not happy with how the war had turned out. Uh, brought their, their view on race with them. And the fact that now black, freed slaves, black men, Chinese men could vote really did not sit well with them. And their view was, you know, if these guys can vote, well, my wife certainly could vote. In
0: 1869, Wyoming became the first territory to give women full voting rights as well as full political equality. The decision was a result of at least a couple things. There was, as Laygrade just said, that desire from white men to hang on to their white majority, as well as this ongoing race among Western territories to become the first to allow women's suffrage. Laygrade likened it to a form of boosterism. So let's fast forward to 1924. By that time, the 19th Amendment had been ratified and adopted, and women in Wyoming had been voting for more than 50 years and serving in political offices for almost as long. That's likely why, when Nellie Taylor Ross ran for governor, she won. According to her grandson, Robert, Nellie continued on with her husband's policy ideas, but she also worked on issues of her own. She was especially proud of her work getting more funding for the University of Wyoming and for the state's public education system. She pushed for protections for women in industrial jobs and for child labor laws. After completing William's term, Nellie ran for re-election, but refused a campaign. She was narrowly defeated. What happened next for, for Nellie?
3: Well, she became a national speaker. Uh, she was part of the Chautauqua uh, series, and she uh, she spoke uh, around the country, uh, and one of her major focuses was on the responsibility of women uh, once they had suffrage to be active citizens and to be active in the political process um, and uh, she was uh, a, a very uh, she was a very charming person. My grandmother got along well with one, and uh, she, so she she was very confident. Uh, but she was very friendly, and and people were gravi- would gravitate toward her, and, and they were very interested in, in her story. In
0: 1928, Nellie served as the co-vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, alongside Eleanor Roosevelt. She just kept moving forward, even as another personal tragedy hit the Ross family, when Nellie and William's son Ambrose was killed in a car accident Just after Christmas in 1928. About five years later, in 1933, Franklin D. Roosevelt became president and he appointed Nellie as the director of the U.S. Mint. She was the first woman to serve in that role. In all, she served as its director for 20 years until her retirement in 1953. She went on to travel the world and spend time with her family on their farm in southern Maryland. Nellie Taylor Ross died on December 19th, 1977. She was 101 years old. Nellie left behind a big legacy, as well as a network of children, grandchildren, even some great, great grandkids now, to pass down her family name and to tell her story. Uh, my name is Nellie Taylor Sanders, um, and Nellie
1: Taylor Ross um, is actually my maiden name. And was the name of my great-grandmother. I always signed my name as a little girl, Nellie Taylor Ross, because I had such pride in knowing that um, I shared the same name as Ga, my Nellie. And um, as I got married, my dad was really cute. He just really wanted me to keep uh, Ross and then just add on Sanders. And I just
0: couldn't even imagine having to write that on everything I write. So, Sanders was born a few years after her great-grandmother, Nellie, died. She never got to meet her, but she did end up looking a lot like Nellie, who the family typically calls Gah. And Sanders would also become a family historian of sorts. She told me stories about her great-grandma, how Nellie was terrified of mice, how she could play the piano by ear. She boasted of Nellie's tenure at the U.S. Mint. But Sanders sounded especially proud of Nellie when she was talking about her history-making career moves in a time when most women didn't really work outside of the home. She knew she was the first of her kind and that she had a lot of interest in people just seeing
1: uh, what she was about and what she was like. And um, she was very, very aware of that. I think that uh, was one of the reasons she was such a great leader. She really wanted to be the best example that she could be for all of the generations of women to come after her. And, boy, have there been um, advancements since that time. To think that she was born in, you know, 1876 and she died in 1977, Um, women in many ways were having, um, you know, uh, they were working, they were working moms. They weren't necessarily um, staying home anymore. And in the 1970s, a lot of women were joining the workforce and advancing in their own um, careers.
2: She was one of, I feel like she was one of Wyoming's probably original working moms. Yeah, she was, and that's
1: the other thing that people don't realize about her, too. You know, she, oh, my gosh, she had three boys that she had to raise, and she had no financial means of her own, and so she had a lot of debt she'd incurred, and so she was really, um, her family, um, it was by happenstance, wasn't it? You know, it wasn't really that she was going into this because um, of women's rights, per se, although she was a big believer in women having the same rights as anybody else. And um, it really was the original working mom scenario that drove her.
0: 96 years after Nellie Taylor Ross became the first woman elected governor in the United States, and more than 40 years since she passed away, Robert said his grandmother's example of personal responsibility still sticks with him. She stepped up when called upon, and it's something Robert said she taught her family step up with confidence and do what needs to be done. Nellie and William are both buried in Cheyenne, but other than that, there aren't many Ross family ties to Wyoming anymore. Nowadays, most of Nellie's descendants are out on the East Coast, particularly around the Washington DC area. And Sanders is actually in Oklahoma. Um, my husband is a state representative
1: Uh, in Oklahoma and so when I first got married and moved out to Oklahoma from Washington DC and left everything I knew it really reminded me so much of what Nellie's experience was like because she had uh, gotten married and quickly moved out to Wyoming to be with her husband and my husband was from Oklahoma and um, he ran for office um, right after we got married and so when when we started that whole entire journey running for office and leaving everything we had and had known, um, it was honestly a lot of Nellie and trying to find and look up and try to see what that experience must have been like. We had a family very soon after as well, just like she did. And um, going straight into politics and being a political wife right after getting married is not something that, you know, there's a book for. You just, kind of have to wing it and not knowing people in the community you move to. Um, So my, my life has really paralleled in many ways. um, That journey that I can really relate to with what Nellie must have endured and
0: experienced. Things didn't go according to plan for Nellie Taylor Ross. In the span of about three months, she went from being a wife to a widow, from a mother to a single mother and from being a politician's wife to being a politician. Like the many Western women that came before her, Nellie Taylor Ross stepped up. She did what needed to be done. She paved a new way. And in the process, she made history. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. The Way It Was is recorded, edited, and hosted by yours truly in the depths of the Coloradoans podcasting closet. I mean studio. A big thank you also goes out to our sponsor, Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch, for making this podcast possible. Another thanks goes to Renee Lagrade, Robert Ross, and Nellie Taylor Sanders for helping me tell Nellie taylor Ross's story. Music used in this episode came from the Library of Congress. If you're interested in learning more about how our region made history for its role in women's suffrage, head to coloradoan.com for my latest piece on women in the West. And if you don't already have one, you can buy a digital subscription to The Coloradoan by going to coloradoan.com slash podcast offer. This podcast, as well as everything else we do at the Coloradoan, wouldn't be possible without support from our subscribers. If you love Northern Colorado history as much as me, you can also sign up for our The Way It Was newsletter, which I put together monthly, showcasing all of our great local history coverage. Well, that's it for me. Bye, history nerds. This podcast was brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch. Jack's Farm and Ranch is your go-to place for everything you need for your livestock, critters, and pets. They have your animals covered for the warm weather of summer, plus everyday essentials like food, treats, toys, and more. Visit any one of their Colorado locations, and now in Cheyenne, or visit them online at jacksgoods.com.